Welcome to the Mini Break, your daily podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Saturday, February 4th. On today's show, as promised, I want to talk each of you listeners through every Friday quarterfinal battle we saw unfold at the 2023 Cleveland Open. Simply put, the Challenger event has delivered the goods all week long. And of course, as I've alluded to on this show throughout the course of the week, the players competing this week in Cleveland, it's a nexus of everything we love here at Crack Rackets. You have rising young American stars like Alex Mickelson, like Zachary Svida. You have former college All-Americans like Gab Diallo, Alexander Kovacevic. You've got intriguing full-time pros from start to finish in their careers. I don't know how else to describe them, but of course I'm alluding to players like Yibing Wu and Stefan Kozlov who have been fascinating prospects since they were 14 or 15 years old. And then we get a couple of veterans as well, right? Stevie Johnson, Tennis Sandgren, Robert Galloway, Hans Hockverdu. It was a phenomenal day of tennis, and of course, such a joy for me to be able to sit courtside as the MC, watch it all unfold. And with that in mind, what I want to do is share the insight I gained from watching each of these players compete for me. It was the first time I got to see Ebing Wu play up and close in person. It was the first time I got to see Alex Mickelson play up close in person. It had been a while since I'd seen the Svida man, two-time Kalamazoo champion Zachary Svida in action. As such, I've got plenty of insights I'd like to share with all of you listeners today. Now, I will preface this by saying I'm recording before the start of Saturday's action. We've got about 30 minutes till the start of the doubles final, so today might be a shorter episode. That said, I will offer a follow-up on what happens on semifinal Saturday. I'll talk about the WTA 250 events happening in Lyon and Joaquin on a either late night Saturday edition of this show or an early Sunday edition. So be on the lookout for that podcast tomorrow. That said, again, the focus here on this show, Friday's Cleveland Open action for phenomenal singles matches to recap. Of course, the reason we're able to do that day in, day out here on this show is because of the support we get from all of you listeners. I know I've said this throughout the course of the week, but sincerely, January was our biggest month on the podcast yet at Cracked Rackets, and that's a testament to all of you who we are so grateful turned to us to provide all the information that's happening day in, day out across level in the tennis world. We take that responsibility seriously. We, of course, look forward to providing you all with so many phenomenal stories throughout the course of this 2023 season. Of course, the reason we can do that here on this show in particular is because of the support we get from our dear friends at Tennis Point who understand the necessity of providing a daily podcast so that tennis fans can follow all the action that's happening, not just on the ATP and WTA tours, but of course across levels in the tennis world as well. And guess what? Tennis Point, they're also offering the best equipment at the lowest prices. All you got to do is go to tennis-point.com today. Use our promo code CR15 when you do make a purchase. Not only will let them know we sent you there, you'll get 15% off all sale items, free two-day shipping on all orders exceeding $75. Best of all, a free can of Wilson Extra Duty Tennis Balls, tennis-point, symbol not the spelling, tennis-point.com. The promo code is CR15. With that said, let's get into Friday's quarterfinal singles battles, and let's start with Ebing Wu versus Stefan Kozlov. Wu, a 6-4-6-1 victory. This was the slowest start to a match I have ever seen in person. And it was fascinating because even super producer Daniel Westoff, as they were finishing up their warm-up, turns to me and says, that's the most inconsistent warm-up I've ever seen. And he was absolutely right. There were moments where I think on four separate occasions, Ebing and Stefan 
hit hit fed the ball to one another at the same time. There was just a lack of cohesiveness in the warm-up, and it led to some sloppy play to start. Now, of course, Stefan Kozlov, 25 years old, happy belated birthday to a guy who I think propelled my interest in American men's tennis. Whenever you've got the greatest 12-year-old in the world, uh, in your country, I think that's always fascinating. That's what Stefan Kozlov was through much of his junior career. Uh, But anyways, when it gets nasty, when it's junk ball time, right, things get a little bit grimy. That's always been where Stefan Kozlov has thrived. And I always like to say this whenever I'm in person at an event. What's the difference between professional tennis players and us mere mortals? It's their legs. The amount of calf muscle, the amount of quad muscle, the amount of leg definition I have seen sitting courtside this week in Cleveland. It has me reimagining everything I should be doing in the workout room. I'm a big cardio guy, but I feel like I got to hit the squat rack if I want to have the legs that all these pro players bring to the court day in, day out. That said, that's what Stefan did so well to start the match. He made it grimy. He made it physical. He used his legs to absorb, redirect the pace Eping Wu was providing him, and he races out to an early 3-2 break of serve lead. That said, again, it took about 30 minutes for Ebing to defrost and for what it's worth. The reason I think it took so long is because it is freezing here in Cleveland. It's like two degrees Fahrenheit. As such, you can imagine that it gets pretty cold here, even in this tennis bubble. And you could tell Ebing Wu was a little bit off. He was starting a little bit slow. Everything was half speed, not full speed. And then he woke up. And how easy it is for Ebing Wu to generate pace on both his forehand and backhand wings. It was very, very noticeable. Uh, certainly sitting courtside in person, watching it all unfold, and in particular, his forehand, the elevation of that forehand, uh, to his ability to get that ball above the net with such great net clearance, and you know that net clearance provides depth right off the back. And, you know, again, it's not just the net clearance, it's the action on the ball. It rips through the court. Of course, he's a little bit flatter on that backhand wing, but he drives through it so well, and Everything's in rhythm. Everything's so well-paced for Ibing Wu. He was never flustered by the drop shots, the slices, the redirects of Stefan Kozlov. And, you know, he didn't take the bait. He, you know, Kozlov likes you to think he's buried in a corner and then you're going to challenge him on the run and that's when he's going to come up with his magical passing shots and he did come up with those magical passing shots at various points of this match but it was the slow, steady, and consistent aggression ultimately of Ibing Wu that prevailed and now Ibingu is 26-4 in his last 30 challenger matches. He's one win away from a top 100 debut, and he's except like, Again, it, the forehand, the backhand, the serve wasn't that big, but there was plenty of action on it. He hit his spots well. He could turn it up on the first serve when he needed to. And again, his ability to actually generate pace with his ground strokes not an issue. He he does have that elite, quick, twitchy, you know, not quite the Tommy Paul, Alejandro Davidovich tier of athlete, but I'd probably say a tier below that in terms of the twitchiness, in terms of the quickness, and then again, the fluidity. He does have that elite fluidity. Everything is in rhythm for Ibing Wu. Again, the biggest thing to me was watching his forehand and that elevation over the net. The depth he generates is not because he's driving the ball with exceptional pace. It's just a beautifully crafted beautifully round forehand. And again, Kozlov ultimately, I don't think he played poorly. I don't think he served particularly well in set number two, but Kozlov just didn't have the weapons to put consistent pressure on Wu. And so Wu advances. It's another semifinal for him and a challenger here in the United States. Again, he's one win away from a top 100 debut. You imagine he's going to get the chance to play events like Dallas and Delray Beach coming up and 
you know, again, will he be top 100 for the clay court swing, have that opportunity to go play uh, Madrid's and Barcelona's of the world? As an IMG guy, he probably gets a main draw wild card into Miami. I suppose that's still to be seen. But, man, I was impressed by Yi Bing Wu, who, again, I, like it didn't feel like he played his best yesterday. It didn't feel like he even had to exert himself maximally because Kozlov couldn't hurt him. That was the biggest takeaway is that Ibing Wu made it all look so easy. And, you know, again, it was funny because someone texted me who I'm close with. That person can remain nameless. But we like to joke around that Ibing Wu not eliminated from the GOAT conversation yet when he was down 3-2 to Kozlov. And given some of the struggles he's had earlier this week with guys like Strong Kirkheimer, etc., I got a funny text saying, hey, you can't play Strong Kirkheimer 6-6 six and six and still be in the GOAT race. Fair. But he's definitely a top 100 player, and I expect we'll be hearing a lot from Yi Bing Wu over the course of the next five to seven years. Not a ton like Masters 1000 titles or Grand Slam titles, but he's just going to be a guy. He's going to be in the mix. He's going to be a part of that top 100 ecosystem. Heck of a first win for Yi Bing Wu, and look, Wu's battle now sets up a really fun physical match. He's going to take on Tennis Sandgren. Sandgren, a 6-0, win over the Svida man, Zachary Svida. We can throw out the first two sets. I think Svida made, look, Sangren won 24 points in the first set. I think Svida made 16 unforced errors. His forehand was just spraying. Sangren was working him physically. Sangren was so successful. Slicer of outlined, first approach to the open court. Sangren's been in rhythm. And Sangren right now physically is just, again, he's back. Like the 31-year-old just extends every rally. He's going to track down that extra ball. You see his legs in person. It's a joke. Um... Yeah, it's just, you know, again, this was a really good match because set number two then Svita started connecting on the forehand, which he started taking a little bit earlier and using the heavy topspin of Sandgren's forehand against him to capture that ball and, again, take it on the rise, beat Sandgren to the spot. Uh, the Svita backhand's a joke. Like, the, that's picture-perfect technique, his ability to drive through that ball, absorb pace, hit it on the run, hit it as a passing shot. I'm all in on the Svita backhand. Second serve hung up a little bit too much for Sangren to attack, though neither guy was particularly successful on the second serve throughout the course of the match. And that's because, again, this was a little Spider-Man meme Two guys who are pretty consistent. You know, two guys who are going to drive through their backhands, uh, want to take their forehand a little bit early. I thought Sangren was the better and more willing volleyer, and ultimately that's what separated the two of them, particularly at the start of the breaker, where Sangren moves in, I believe, four times in the first six points and races out to, I think, a 5-1 lead in that breaker. Sandgren was the veteran, and ultimately, again, it was 7-6 in the third, but that third set was borderline top 100 tennis, and physically, again, Svita just so consistent, the depth, the pace he generates, particularly on the backhand wing. I loved how willing he was to try and be aggressive with his forehand. I think that's a gear that will propel him to the top 100 when he masters that skill, and by the way, you know what else was fascinating about that match? Sitting courtside and coaching Zachary Svita former University of Tennessee NCAA singles finalist, All-American, and roommate, dear friend, to Tennis Sandgren, Ryan Williams, one of the OGs of Tennis Twitter. Ryan Williams was actually coaching Zachary Svida against his dear friend, Tennis Sandgren. What a fascinating matchup within the matchup. Again, ultimately, Tennis a little bit more aggressive. I'll tell you what, the courtside Tennis Sandgren experience, I'll unpack this a little bit later for all of you listeners because I don't have time in this moment, but the courtside Sandgren experience is something else, and that's something worth expressing uh, to all of you listeners. Uh, so I will remember to do so on Sunday. But again, Sandgren through 7-6 in the third. That's going to be a really fun physical match between he and Yi Bing Wu. Again, Yi Bing 
little bit bigger from the ground. Sandgren's moving so well right now, although 7-6 in the third. You do wonder how much he has left in the body. Um, he was certainly feeling it in his legs by the end of that Svita match. Both guys were. That said, Tennis Sandgren threw in three sets. That was match number two, quarterfinal number three. Emilio Gomez, 7-6-4-6-7-5 over Gab Diallo. You know, the scoreline of this match was extraordinarily compelling. This was probably the least entertaining match of the event and uh, of the day. And by that, I mean a lot of serves, a lot of first strikes. I'm all in on Gab Diallo to be six foot seven, have his serve, the ability to just crank things up from the baseline at a moment's notice when he gets the ability to hit down on a forehand. It is scary. You know, backhand can sail on him, particularly when he's on the run. That ball is certainly a little bit flatter. But to be his size, to move as well as he does, again, to be a willing volleyer, to be pretty good in the outer thirds for, again, a guy who is is a power-based front foot sort of player, he's going to be in the top 100. And he's got no points to defend until June. It feels like it's when, not if, given his challenger success over the past six months. And, you know, again, the difference was Gomez was just, Emilio Gomez is a freak physically. Like, he's been that way since, he, and obviously son of former slam champion, I believe, Andreas Gomez. But you look for Emilio just even since he was a freshman at USC. The movement has always been laughably exceptional. And just, you know, he was better at absorbing, redirecting pace than Diallo was in the outer thirds. He served very well with his first serve. And then, again, Gomez is just always going to track down that first approach shot. You're, it, if you're going to hit a clean winner against Emilio Gomez, you have hit the ball perfectly. Look, Gomez has been a fringe top 100 guy now for about 14 months consecutively, he's floated between that 95 and 115 spot in the rankings, and he'll be in the top 100 by making another semifinal here in Cleveland, and I was joking around with him yesterday in the post-match interview, Gomez, a guy who, a lot of clay court, outdoor success in his careers, you know, but he's had a ton of success when he's come and played indoors in Ohio, so I'm asking him, are, are you an Ohio indoor specialist? Like, should you have played for Ty Tucker and the Buckeyes? And he's joking around, and he's saying, I do like this indoor experience. It's a little bit different. Um, he just likes how stable the conditions are. He feels like in these conditions, he can track absolutely every ball down. And certainly yesterday, there was uh, no sign, no suggestion otherwise. So again, Gomez Diallo, it, it was a little broken. I don't think either guy was in their best rhythm for more than a 10-minute stretch in this match. It got physical certainly at the end, and credit to Diallo, who it felt like could have gone away. I think he went down an early break in the third, got that break back. But then, yeah, I believe Gomez served for the matchup 5-4 in the third. Diallo breaks him. Gomez breaks him right back, 4-6-5, then ultimately holds 4-7-5. So you can't give that good of a player two opportunities, obviously, in a row. But credit to Emilio Gomez. He's been re- I think he's made semifinals at three of the last four challengers that he's played, and you do that, you're going to sustain a spot in the top 100. So credit to the former USC All-American. And up next now, not his former teammate Steve Johnson, as Johnson knocked off last night by former Illini All-American Alexander Kovacevic. Of course, Kova made an ATP 250 semifinal at the end of last season. And you can understand why. It clearly, and I've watched a lot of Kova in my day. I was the play-by-play broadcaster for the 2021 Round of 16 finishing uh, University of Illinois team that had Kova, Sifo Mansi, Zeke Clark, Alex Brown. I'm not no way Cliff. Like, do you want me to go through the lineup? I was there for all of the matches. But again, more broadly, the point here is, you know, Kova played number one. He was an All-American. His serve, his forehand have always been exceptional. Um, 
that's like again last night was just first strike tennis at its finest and you know Kova was able to match Stevie on the serve on the forehand now Stevie volleyed better than I think I've ever seen Stevie volley some of the low backhand volleys he hit yesterday were just they were a joke they were laughably exceptional but you know again ultimately um Credit to Kova, who goes down three love, love he's down oh three love forty serving to go down double break in the third. He goes to, and and he ultimately wins the match in three sets. By the way, he was down seven six two zero. He was down a quick break in the second, a quick break in the third. Comes back in both occasions. He's moving better into the outer thirds, in particular, moving better protecting his on the run forehand than I have ever seen him play. And the pace. You know, again, the contact point is beauty, the willingness to be aggressive, the ability to play on his own terms. Uh, Yeah, it's just like if Kova can sustain this level, then he can flirt with the top 100. I thought he drove the backhand pretty well yesterday as well. I thought he passed with it pretty well, even though he can get a little too pace happy on that wing. I thought he was successful. Look, for Kova, who was a semifinalist here in Cleveland back in 2021 as well, indoor hardcourt should always be where his front foot game you know, that big, clean first serve, clean first forehand in this environment. It should always thrive on these indoor hard courts. But guess what? It has. And you watch him play with that weapon, the consistency, efficiency with which he executes that first strike. You understand why he's a top 200 guy now. And again, I didn't know he had another step of quickness in him. He legitimately flashed that last night. I mean, if that quickness sustains, I got to see it on translate to clay, but you're starting to see the efficiency of, okay, Maybe there is a pathway to the top 100 for the former Illini All-American because that's how good he was last night. And again, now he's done it for about three months consecutively. So certainly something to watch moving forward. And again, Kova's going to have plenty of opportunities to play offense against Emilio Gomez. He's probably the more aggressive of the two players, will certainly be the one more willing to move forward. Kova can be, there's no reason Kova can't win this match. And, you know, again, Kova, who I believe faced Shelton and Ebingwu a bunch last year when they were playing the Indianapolis Challengers and, you know, all the stuff, the champagne to end the year. Uh, You know, Kova was right up there in the mix. He wasn't quite Ebing or Shelton's level, but he was probably that next guy up on the American Challenger circuit last year. So credit to Alexander Kovacevic. It's real. Like, he's a top 200 guy. And he continues to prove that week in, week out. And, you know, again, this is a guy who was playing five singles his freshman year for the Fighting Illini. Now he's an All-American, you know, now he's an All-American inside the top 200 competing against Emilio Gomez here in the Cleveland Challenger semifinals. With that said, last thing, Mickelson versus Chapel versus uh, Mickelson Chapel versus Galloway Verdugo last night in the double semifinal. The size of Mickelson He's 6'3", 6'4", already, but he kind of walks around like he's still going to grow another two inches. The volleys for him, just the hands, his feel, his willingness to pinch forward, his willingness to play big at an opponent down the line, the energy he brings. You know, again, I still don't love the forehand, but the it factors, the non-quantifiables, he has all of those. You saw them in spades yesterday. That was a really fun match, Uh, ultimately. Robert Galloway into his fourth Cleveland Challenger final. Ben's been held five times. He's made the final four. He's the winningest player in Cleveland Challenger history. He's also the nicest guy you'll meet. Um, 
Yeah, it's going to be a really fun final, by the way. Galloway-Verdugo versus Stalder-Gonzalez. A couple of Cleveland Open veterans. A lot to get excited about. And, of course, you can follow all of the action on the ATP Challenger live stream throughout the course of the day on Saturday. I will be back either Saturday night or Sunday morning to recap how things wrap up in Cleveland. Then, of course, again, 250s. Leon Joaquin will touch on them later as well. But with all that said, a shout-out, as always, to our super producer, Daniel Westoff, who's sitting right next to me right now. And to make his life easier, I'm not going to swear. He's got a heck of a job to do, and he does it day in, day out. A shout-out to our friends at Tennis Point as well, tennis-point.com. The promo code is CR15. With all of that said, for our fantastic super producer, Daniel Westoff, our friends at Tennis Point, from all of us here at both Crack Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. You know what we say. That's the break, and we'll talk to you all tomorrow. Thanks, everyone.